Hey friends, it's your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish. Today, we are going to look at chapter two of the Kobold Press hardcover campaign adventure, Empire of the Ghouls. This show, like all the work of Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. If you are a patron of Sly Flourish, you get access to the City of Arches source book, Uncovered Secrets, Volume 1 and 2, dedicated Discord channel, the monthly Patreon Q&A, and lots of other exclusive stuff. Signing up for the Patreon is very cheap. You can find a link down in the show notes below. And to the patrons of Sly Flourish, thank you so much for your support. So normally at this time, I would be doing one of my Scarlet Citadel prep videos, but we do not have a game today. So I thought it would be a good time to look at, we had just finished chapter two of Empire of the Ghouls with my Wednesday group. And so now I have actual experiences having run Empire of the Ghouls chapter two, and I thought it would be worth talking it through. Right up front, I have some tips that I want to offer for running this chapter. If you're getting ready to run Chapter 2 of Empire of the Ghouls, these are a few things that I would recommend. One, big one, condense the locations down. Empire, chapter 2 of Empire of the Ghouls is a huge chapter. It took me 13, 16 sessions. I counted them up. I think it was 16 three-hour sessions to get through one chapter of this book. It is kind of the yam-shaped part of this adventure, although it's really pretty linear. You're going from point A to point B to point C to point D to point E to point F to point G, then back to point F again. So you're traveling, and it's like 1,400 miles of travel. It's really, really far. There's a few things you can do to, to kind of prevent the idea that the characters are traveling, going to a place, then learning about the next place, then traveling there, and then going to that place, then going to the next place, and so on, is to condense some of the locations down so that the big important events are only happening in a smaller number of locations. And the example is that there are events that take place in the, in the town of Kerosene. There, there's also the, there's, there's things that are happening in Grisal, the dwarven canton of Grisal, but then also the Black Fortress. You can sort of condense those all of those three down and that prevents this problem of the your princesses in another castle sort of thing and i'll talk more about this in this video but the idea is and one thing that helped me was kind of moving the big important events down to just a handful of locations which was pretty much you have zobek you have the dwarven cantons you have jost and then the events that are going on at Krakovar. And you can kind of condense those down so that you're not spending too much time just jumping from place to place, getting one piece of information that takes you to the next place. The other, the other thing that I'd recommend is offering multiple paths. So there are in, in the book, there's pretty much like one main path that you would follow to get from all of these locations. But you can offer a couple of different ones. You can always kind of offer, do you want to stay on the main roads or do you want to kind of go off the beaten path? And then the, the you know, main road and beaten path, you might have different kinds of encounters that go along the way. And then you can also include shadow roads. And I included shadow roads, which are these elven, old elven pathways that can kind of cut across, they, they follow the ley lines and they can kind of cut across a lot of Midgard. I introduced those early so that they wouldn't have to do these like 14 day journeys from one location to the other. They could jump, jump into the shadow road, have a little adventure in the shadow road and go on. But actually these shadow road adventures expanded quite a bit which meant that my my this whole chapter actually took a lot longer than than one would expect still i think the idea of offering multiple paths this is really where you can get into a point crawl kind of idea what are the different paths that they can take what are the points that they might go along the, the way have them to kind of define what path they're going to take and then then you know what to fill out while you're running while you're running the campaign so one in the campaign when you get to the later part of the camp of this particular adventure 
there is another long journey that goes from the, the, the fishing city of Jost right on the northern coast all the way down to Yarrowsburg, which is, again, like a three-week journey. It's really, really far. And you could just kind of move that up and nobody will be paying attention. Just say it's only a, it's a week or so away and then have like one event that takes place from Jost to Yarrowsburg. And the same thing from Yarrowsburg to Castle Orzelberg, which is sort of the main conclusion of the chapter. You can also abstract that distance. Maybe it's only three or four days away through, through, through the whole area there through Krakovar to go get there. And that way you don't have, again, like 14 days to get to one place, then another week to get to another, then a week to go back, then another 14 days. It's so much travel in this adventure that trying to find ways to either condense it down in narrative you could say like you travel for two weeks but that the players are going to be aware like they, they feel that when you say you travel for two weeks they feel like they traveled for two weeks so instead you kind of shrink the distances a little bit so that it's not quite so extreme in the amount of in the amount of distance that it takes now this one thing that this chapter does that's that's very good is it does give you a very big exploration of the northern realms of Midgard. So in much the same way that Storm King's Thunder took you all over the Sword Coast, this adventure really takes you all over northern Midgard and then eventually southern Midgard in the latter half, which are in chapters that I haven't run yet, but I'm excited to run. Still, it could be a lot. It could be a lot of travel. So you can, of course, add your own adventures here. But if you're doing that, then you're extending the whole campaign. And it's already a pretty big campaign. So you have to ask how much you want to add in. I did. I added a lot of stuff with the Shadow Roads and with stuff going on in in the Shadow. One trick, which I think a lot of people do already, is when you're having one of these long journeys, when you have sort of different points, drop an interesting encounter kind of in the middle of one. And so instead of kind of doing a lot of descriptive narrative of what travel is like what you do is say you travel for three days and on the third day this event occurs and the to me the way that that really works is you drop in a monument and maybe that monument gives a bit of lore about either the the general location of what's going on or maybe some of the gods that are worshipped there and maybe they meet either an npc or a monster or both Again, you can mix up encounters, roll twice on your encounter table to see if there's two different groups that are there. Maybe have one group of NPCs that's dealing with a group of monsters and they can, the characters can get involved. But come up with like an interesting scene along the, uh, along the way that kind of shows the characters what the region is like, maybe offers up a bit of lore about the, the region, its history, its religions and things like that. And some interesting people to, to, to meet and maybe some interesting monsters to fight. And you can do all of that sort of, one, you know, you can do one of those for each of the major legs of the journey. And that can that can work really well. I made liberal use of the Book of Ebon Tides. The Book of Ebon Tides is a book published by Cobalt Press that talks all about the Shadow Realm. And it's a it's a pretty good book for giving you a lot of a different flavor of what the world is like in the Shadow Realm. So if you are going to use Shadow Roads, and probably the characters are going to do the Shadow If you offer a Shadow Road, they're going to take a Shadow Road, at least at first. My group, they took the Shadow Road and then later like, well, I'm not going back to the Shadow Roads. We got our asses kicked there. And then you're like, well, you know, there might be reasons you want to do it. And like, I don't want to do it. You, you get grumpy players that are like, I don't want to go back to the Shadow Roads. Let's just go to a normal road. So... But it, the, the Book of Edmontines has lots of random encounters. It's got lots of interesting cultures of its own. It's got lots of different major power players, which, and that what that means is as the characters switch from Midgard to the Shadow Realm and then back again, they have two different kinds of political events that are going on in each of these worlds that aren't connected. And that's kind of neat. So it's like when they go into the Shadow Realm and they meet some people, maybe they do some things, and then they pop back out and they're dealing with their stuff in Midgard, and then they go back to the Shadow Realm and they realize, oh, the, the things we did have had an effect on what has been going on. And that can be that can be pretty interesting. So that way they can sort of see the repercussions of their actions as they're jumping between one world and the other. 
there's a whole section about how to run the court in exile. The court in exile are the, the group of Krakowian politicians and, and, and royalty that are displaced from their, from their country, from their region, because of the vampires of King Lucan, King Lucan and his vampires and his alliance with the, with the, with the, the Ghoul Imperium. And there's a whole thing about like how to get them to be on your side, like how to build up trust with them. There's kind of a little bit of a system for how to handle that. I didn't worry about that. You, of course, want them to, to kind of latch onto the characters. So instead of worrying about any kind of like system to have them, you know, any kind of numerical or mechanical system to determine whether or not they are, are, are friendly to the characters, think about them like you would you know put yourself in their minds and ask themselves if you saw a powerful group of adventurers that can help you kind of get from point a to point b and do things they're probably going to want to go with you so just run them like any other npcs i just i i really feel strongly that you don't need to have any sort of rank based rank based system to determine whether or not somebody likes you or not instead you put yourself in the minds of the npcs you see the approach that the characters take maybe you look at the roles and see how well they did at it and then you can kind of decide what their what the response is and what their feelings are towards it but getting into the mind this is something that makes human beings far better than a, than a linear table is we can act like an npc and we have all of the complications that an npc could have given different circumstances and in, in different situations so i think that that don't worry too much about following a system for determining whether the court in exile is friendly to the characters or not. Just either let them be because they would want to be because the characters are a very powerful resource for them or think through their think through their eyes. Like how would the NPCs react given the characters, the actions of the characters? Later in the chapter, when you're dealing with the ruins of Yarosburg, this is a really great opportunity to build a situation in which the characters get to castle to, to the ruins of Yarosburg, this old ruined castle. And they're exploring it and they're figuring out what's going on. They're here to rescue the Sisters of Sif, but they're not around anymore. Maybe there's like one wounded sister. Of, I think there's a couple wounded Sisters of Sif. And then all of a sudden they find out that they are surrounded by the, uh, by, by the retinue of the Ghost Knights. And it could be a whole bunch of soldiers. It could be a whole bunch of like men-at-arms. And when I ran it, I had soldiers, which were just guards, very low stat, stat blocks, but I had a lot of them. And then I had men-at-arms, which were veterans, and I had like six or seven of those. And then you might have one or two Ghost Knights that kind of come in. In my case, I ran one Ghost Knight. You can have the characters realize that this group is coming in, and they have some time to prepare. And it gives them this fun situation, like where do they want to go? What do they want to climb up? How do they want to prep the environment? So that when these groups come in they're prepared to handle them and it's a really fun like multi-wave fight i ran it as this really fun multi-wave fight i added one thing found i had this thing where they found an oubliette and they found out that there was a vampire that was down in the oubliette a person that had been turned into a vampire that was thrown down there and then they were like well should we rescue this person do we kill this person you know they're, they're a vampire now but they weren't always a vampire and they weren't they were forced to be a vampire so it's not really their fault and then that was kind of a resource they could use like how do we let this that you sick this vampire on the other other people and so that worked really well but looking at the ruins of Yarosburg, instead of just having like a preset kind of sets of encounters instead think of it as a situation the characters are there they have this ruined castle or this ruined keep they have a couple of allies that they could command to kind of say hey why don't you guys guard that door over there a vampire guy will let you free but only if you eat those guys and then let them make their choice and then see see how it plays out and in this case you're not building a single encounter that's like balanced to the characters you're saying like there's 25 or 50 i don't know i think we did about 25 guards and about six veterans and i and one ghost knight and i probably could have done two ghost knights would have been would have been more effective at their at their level they were at sixth level at that point 
And they, because they had the opportunity to, to kind of prep that whole environment for the for the attack, they had the advantage. They knew the character. They knew that the group is coming in. They could defend it. They had ways that they could run around. It really worked out well, and it was really really fun. Big. I think it was one basically one whole session of them defending themselves at the ruins of Yarosburg, and I like that a lot. You can do the same thing. At Castle Orzelberg. Castle Orzelberg is where the final conclusion of this chapter is taking place. The minions of, you know, the vampires of King Lucan and the ghouls are here and there was a red priestess here and they're conducting this ritual to kind of convert, to try to convert a sister of Sif. And in my case, I had them succeed and the sister of Sif was turned into a Darakul, which is foreshadowing this whole idea that the, the, the ghouls are trying to figure out how to create Darakuls more effectively and more, more consistently. And they're finding out that it's like the strength of the blood of the victim is really what, what can create a dark hole over a ghoul. So they're learning that, but you, know, you have to get powerful victims to do it. And again, I set it up as a situation, almost like a heist, where they knew Castle Orzelberg was there. They spent a little time reconnoitering the whole place. They went and talked to people in the village of Orzelberg to find out what's going on there. They learned that there was a lot of bad guys. There were three ghost knights, a bunch of Darakul, vampires, and then more guards and more men-at-arms. So there's a lot more monster a lot more inhabitants there than the characters would want to handle like in a big fight so then they have to decide how they're going to go in now i went with an old standby of there's an old creepy set of caves underneath castle orzelberg and the car i just grabbed a dyson map that worked of course because i love my dyson maps and then i put a bunch of ghoul beggars down there like like basically they were trying to convert people into dark ghoul and every time they'd fail they'd just throw the ghouls down in this pit so there's a big pit full of ghouls and the characters had to navigate their way fight a bunch of these ghouls they found Found some other things they found like an old shrine to Karen down there which is kind of neat and then they had to make their way up but the whole idea was they got to choose the approach that they were going to take to get into castle orzoberg and they had two primary goals goal one rescue the sisters of sif goal two rescue the holy robes of sister adeline which are there and that's their primary quest that they've been going on for this entire chapter so do those two things they don't have to fight everybody they don't have to do anything else and we'll talk about what they actually did but that way you're setting up castle orzoberg as this situation as i like to refer to it like a situation you have a location which is this great big castle you have a bunch of inhabitants which are all these like ghost knights and their retinue and vampires and dark and all these other guys you have a, a thing you have to accomplish which is rescue the sisters of sif and get the holy robes of sister adeline and then you have what happens like the, the reaction and you might have complications one of the complications i added in is the idea that there's another ghost knight and their retinue who's patrolling the area and if they find out something bad is happening at castle orzelberg they're going to come in with even more people so how do you distract them and in, in my characters in my group's case they sent a couple of npcs to go like set fire to stuff at another place so that that group would go investigate that and that would keep them away long enough that the characters could, could conduct their heist and get their thing but that idea of running it as a heist i think works works really well Another idea is to start to seed in some of the larger story elements of this entire campaign into this chapter. For example, you can talk about the fact that the ghouls are working on, yeah, I had NPCs, kind of half villain NPCs that would tell the characters that they're, the ghouls and the vampires are conducting some kind of ritual to kind of combine forces and they're doing it somewhere over the Northern Sea. So then when they hear about the blood marriage, they know that that's, oh yeah, that's that thing we heard about. That's a foreshadow to chapter three, but then you can also start dropping in names of villains. So you can drop in like Duke Moretto Lichmark, who's, you know, there's two main villains in Empire of the Ghouls that are, are conducting this whole major operation that the castles are, that the, that the characters are eventually going to want to deal with. 
And that's Duke Moretto Lichmark, who's the ruler of Vandekul, and Radimir Maroblite, who's a high priest of Vardazane. And the two of them are working together to try to figure out how to make Darakul. And if they can make a lot of them, then they can actually usurp the current emperor of Necrophorus or something as his name. They can they can overthrow the emperor. So it means you can start to drop these names in that as they meet Darakul, as they're as they're interrogating Darakul or whatever they're doing, they're starting to learn that, oh, there's this larger plot that's going on among the ghouls. And maybe it isn't just the ghoul the Empire of the Ghoul is one big organization. It's actually a bunch of factions and those factions don't always get along. So you can start to you can start to seed all of that in. So those are kind of my big recommendations for running for running this chapter. Again, we're going to go through the chapter itself. We're going to look at it, but I wanted to kind of get this up front so that you had you had some some thoughts about how to run this. Then there's a couple of other things that I did that worked well. There's not necessarily things I say, oh, you should do this. These are things that I did that worked really well for me, and I just wanted to offer those up because they were they were really fun events that occurred. One was that you can really and you should do this all the time tie the characters to NPCs and groups that are in there. In my case, I have a character who is a meta, a member of the Daughters of Paranalia down in the Crossroads region. So instead of just having the Sisters of Sif alone, I said that the Sisters of Sif is sort of like a sorority with with the Daughters of Paranalia, and they work together, right? That the daughter and there's a bunch of daughters that move that had traveled up to Jost to work with the Sisters of Sif, and that the way there were direct relations between this character and the people that they were going to rescue. It's a much stronger connection when it's like we really like these daughters. They, I kept the sisters and daughters we would bring together. So that worked that worked really well. Connect connect find every way that you can to connect your characters to the to the to the adventure. Same with the bear folk. My my wife's character is a, a bear folk, a bear folk barbarian, barbarian. And when she traveled into the Shadow Roads and they saw that the bears were really the people that are helping the bear folk are really the ones helping people travel along the Shadow Roads, she kind of was like wanted to join them. So I'd said like they 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 I connect them very much so that now whenever she goes back to the shadow res and she meets other bear folk like oh yeah you're kind of one of us and now she has like oh maybe one day i'll go back there and and, and do that as a as a as a jobby job once i'm done with all this ghoul crap so that that works really well but every time you can kind of take a character and say like what did their what's their connection to these other characters what's these connection to the npcs to these other groups maybe if you have a noble maybe they're connected to the to the court in exile maybe they know the court in exile so reinforce that connection can can really help one of the other things I did was in the stone galleries, which was an area that the characters dropped into from the shadow roads. I had some Medusa there, smart Medusa that were the ones sending basilisks out and the Medusa, instead of just having a big fight against a bunch of Medusa and basilisks, which would have been really hard. The Medusa recognized that the characters weren't ghouls and they're like, it ended up becoming an NPC interaction where the Medusa were telling the characters like, hey, we used to have a strong connection to the vampires. We used to be kind of their, you know, their eyes and their ears that were out here and, and sort of advisors to them. But now these pain in the ass blood priestesses, they, these blood priestesses are trying to usurp us and they're taking over and we really don't like them. So if you'll go take care of these blood priestesses, hey, we'll, we'll tell you anything that we want to tell you to help you disrupt their plans because we don't like them because we want to reinforce our connection back to the vampires again. So it was this kind of fun like well they're kind of friends but not really like they're not hostile to us and but right now we both have a common enemy and that common enemy is the red sisters so that that worked out really that worked out really well and was a fun a fun thing that i did 
So now let's actually look at Empire of the Ghouls itself, and we're going to look, kind of go through chapter two and talk a little bit more in depth about these things, these, these things that I, just, that I just talked about. The main, role, the main goal of this chapter is that the characters have been sent on a quest from Zobek to recover a holy artifact called the Holy Robes of Sister Adeline. Their, their goal is to go recover this artifact. And it's a very, obviously, a very straightforward quest. Go find these holy robes. Where are they? We don't really know. And so the, 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 and this gets into this, like, you find out information that each piece kind of moves you along from, from, from piece to piece. So the first bit of information you get is, well... The dwarves of the cantons are fighting, particularly the dwarves of the Black Canton, are fighting a lot of undead. If anybody knows about this whole thing, they might know. So, so, so travel up and, and go talk to them. And I wanted to, just to iterate how long this is, is to, I gotta figure out how, is draw the line. So Zobek to Altberg to Orbital to Silberdal to Gunax to Grizzle, and I think it's Hirschberg, right? So to the Black Fortress, to Hirschberg, and then you take a shadow road, I think from Hirschberg to the Stone Galleries, I think, if I recall, and then to Jost, and then down to Krakovar to Osberg. So this gives an idea of what the journey looks like as the characters are going from one place to another. So they're going from Zobek up to Grisal, then, and it's a fair distance. You can see that the total distance, not including backtracking, is 1,283 miles. So it is a massive, it is a massive distance. Now, some of that you're, you're traveling through by shadow roads, so it's definitely quicker, this whole idea. But even the journey from the stone galleries to, to, to Jost is, is relatively is relatively is relatively long. The map that I'm mapping out here is actually the Midgard map. I will link down to this in the show notes below. It's a fantastic way to have a map of Midgard and to draw different routes that the characters can take. So the chapter begins with you getting summoned to the Clockwork Oracle, which is this really kind of neat. I, in mine, I did it. It was a great big machine. It looked sort of like Metropolis, female machine form that would spit out like a fortune, and the, like a fortune cookie fortune. And you read it, and it's like, that's the prophecy that they get. And the prophecy was, you are the ones, you, you that have been dealing around with all these problems in Zobek, you are the ones to help defeat a major problem. And in doing so, you must recover this artifact called the Holy Robes of Sister Adeline. Very strong hook, very easy to go oh yeah we got to get these the the the, the thing from we got to get these robes from from the holy robes of sister adeline but we don't know where they are so the first steps that you get are well go talk to the dwarves and so you begin to travel along the north and this is a good opportunity to kind of see different like the different groups and different cultures that exist in the northern crossroads region so, for example, we had like or- Orbital and Altbeck, each of these, Oberstenau, all of these towns, all of these cities that exist here, they each have their own little cultures to them. And it's kind of interesting. Like, a, there are a bunch of kobold miners that used to be kind of the slave miners of the jackass family that used to rule over Zobek. I forget their name. Bunch of jerks, those guys. But they got displaced 100 years ago, but the kobolds still mine it. Now they're mining it for themselves. So I had a whole encounter where a mine had collapsed and the characters had to go rescue kobold miners, but in doing so found out that it was actually these weird bullet-like, these dwarven machines that had been created that had carved through. So they were able to kind of rescue a bunch of kobolds from these 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 possessed dwarven machines foreshadowing some other stuff so 
I had sort of encounters along the way. Then they got to, to Gunax, which is the first kind of major dwarven settlement of the Canton Dwarves, and then to Grisol, and then to the Black Fortress. So, it, you know, it took two or three sessions just to get to the point where they got to Grisol and the Black Fortress. They met a couple of dwarves. The dwarves said, oh, there's definitely people you're going to want to talk to. And this is where I basically moved, instead of going all the way to Hirschberg, to meet with the Accord in Exile, I had them at the Black Fortress. I just moved them to the Black Fortress. And that way the characters could meet a few NPCs there. They didn't have to go journey to Hirschberg and then, and then outward again. I just wanted, again, I wanted to condense the locations down. In the Black Fortress, this is where they met the court in exile. So I, I had a few encounters. I gave some side quests. There's like, oh, there's an old necromancer out in the woods. There's this nasty, what, where is it called? There, there's these woods out here near Grisall where I think I may be at. They were like, they were like the zombie woods or something like that. I think they're, they're in the book. If you, if you look at one, one, one thing that this chapter does really well that I really love is all of the connections to the Midgard world book. So you really can use the journey in this chapter and connect it to all of the locations in the Midgard world book. And it's worth reading these individual locations because they each have their kind of own interesting adventure hooks and different opportunities for you to kind of fill out, fill out this, this, this world. Doing so, of course, makes this chapter very long. And that was okay. Like, you know, it was, it was I think, 16 sessions for me to do it. I've been playing this chapter since October of 2022. And I, I brought this up to Richard Green. I said, hey, we just finished 16 chapters. And I think, Richard, you said it took you 15. Right? And so I was like, oh, well, if the guy who wrote it took 15, chap- 15, 15 sessions, then I'm, I feel like I'm doing it right. But I had a lot of side quests. I had like, there's a zombie wood nearby and the dwarves are like, hey, we can go on your journey. But if you want, how would you like me to hunt? How would you like to hunt down a necromancer with me? And they're like, yeah, let's go do that. So we went and had a side quest where they went and hunted down a necromancer and fought a bunch of undead. And that was really fun. So you can do side quests and things like that. They can learn about stuff. They can have side quests. But, it, but travel is generally hard to run anyway. Like I, I struggle when I run travel scenes. So having a chapter that's lots and lots of travel, it can get actually kind of old to have the pattern of go to a place, meet some people, learn about the next spot, then maybe have one encounter along the way, then get to that next place. Like that gets too repetitive. That pattern gets too repetitive. So side quests are really important and having like learning things, but always asking whenever you're bringing up one of these places ask yourself like what's a situation that the characters can get involved in here where they can make some choices about what they want to do because it's really easy to tell the players lots of stuff but it's not always easy to say here's a situation and the characters can get involved one of the ones that i thought was really fun i think it was orbital where i read the chapter in midgard world book let's take a look was it the crossroads i think it's the crossroads so this is the midgard world book and looking through here, there's all of these different places that the characters can see. Obviously, we, we did a lot of stuff in Zobek. And by the way, if you're running Chapter 1, now is a great time to pick up the Zobek Clockwork City source book if you want to fill that out. One thing I really like about this, which is both good and bad, depending on how much money you want to spend, is Empire of the Ghouls is really a hub of many other Kobold Press Midgard focused books. So this one campaign, you can, it has its own gazetteer for handling the underworld, but it also, you can use Book of Book of Ebon Tides. You can use obviously the Midgard World book. You can use Southlands. You can use the Zobek Guide. So if you already have a lot of different Kobold Press books, this is a great hub to dive deep into all of those sources and have a way that you can bring them out and, and, and connect them. So if you like that, it, it, is, it is a fantastic way to do that. Let's see. There's other crossroads. 
good section in here on Grisol. So when you actually get to the point where they're in Grisol, you can read up on this. And this is where it talks about the zombie wood of Zwargo is in sight, right? And they know that there's these things there. You, there is a temple of the red goddesses there, but I just like, I'm going to have a necromancer that's raising a bunch of undead who's in there. And then they learn that this is just one of many necromancers that are being funneled by the vampires to kind of build undead armies out there. It's kind of a fun, a fun option for the characters to, to do. An example of how to offer some like choices to the players so that they can actually get involved in a situation was when the characters got to the town of Altbeck, when they arrived, they found a, a dwarf, rich dwarven merchant and his mercenaries that he had hired that were accosting a priest of Rava because the priest of Rava was saying, well, Rava and Volund are married. And that was like heretical to the dwarves. The dwarves are like, no, they are certainly not. And, and, and like they were having this like religious argument, but the dwarf was in this position where he's got a bunch of mercenaries. So he's ordering his mercenaries to go beat up this priest and say beat him until he says that they're not married because that's such a radical idea and it was this like funny sort of situation the characters got involved they managed to convince the mercenaries not to beat up the person the mercenaries and we're not getting paid to beat people up and and you know they sort of de-escalated this situation they the, the priest went away the, the merchant was angry but it was oh, they had a choice right there was an action that the characters could take that was based on this idea that in the city of Altbeck they have a shrine to Rava and they're one of the few groups that believe that that there is a divine marriage between Rava and Volund and the dwarves hate that idea right they 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 do not want to believe that Rava and Volund are connected so you can you can add scenes like that as the characters are exploring what's a situation that shows some of the lore the area that lets them meet some NPCs that lets them recognize stuff without just telling them stuff they actually have an option to an option for things to do there so that that worked out really well as the characters went through I did have them meet the griffins the, the griffin writer who were shaking them down for money they realized they were getting shaken down i think they intimidated them and said like you know we'll go let all our friends in zobek know you're shaking everybody down and your little racket here is gonna be done and I'm like all right you can go and so you know you can do you can do things like that i definitely had a scene where they met some ghouls some dark who are hunting for somebody and they saw that they had the note of the of art the archduke and so that, you know, you, you definitely want to, the, the, the main seeds that are working through here, you may want to plop them in, even if you're kind of expanding, expanding this chapter on your own. And then I, like I said, they went, they went to the Black Canton, they met the dwarves of the Black Canton who are fighting undead like crazy. The dwarves say, well, we don't have the holy robes, but we know a guy who probably does. And it's this, it's the, it's the, it's the court in exile. I had them go to the Black Fortress this guy was a good NPC that they met. Havard Glimmer, Glimmerstone was a fun NPC that, and they instead of kind of I, I'm I'm not a, I'm never a big fan of adventures where you meet a group and the group is like, well, in order to prove ourselves to, in order for you to prove yourselves to us, you have to go do a thing. It's a very common trope, and I feel like it feels like a waste of time. It's like you could just work with us and save us the trouble of having to go out there. But it's very different when you say, hey, we'd love to work with you and we think you're great. By the way, we're about to go raid some undead. How would you like to go with us? Or we're going to go raid some undead. We could use somebody else to raid this other place. Would you do that for us? So it, it can feel, instead of like prove yourselves to us, it's this like we're going to work together on this thing. And it's a slight change, but and it has the same goal. But it feels different to players who are like, I, why am I convincing you? Like, first of all, I'm real. You're not. I'm an actual human being and you're just a dumb NPC. But, you know, the other one is like, it doesn't feel like it's a waste of time. It's one of those things like dream sequences where dream sequences can feel false. But Inception style dream sequences where you're going in there to steal something that you need, that can feel pretty good. So 
you know, yeah, there's, it's a slight change, but it's a way that I think really that, that works well. And in this case, I had them go and fight the necromancers in the zombie wood because that, that felt fun to me. I skipped, I had them meet the, the head of the, 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 the dwarves of the Black Canton who said like, hey, we want to work with this duke. And then in the castle, in the bottom, in the basement of the Black Castle, the Black Fortress, was an old elven, uh, an old elven gateway that switched over to the Shadow Road. And that was their first journey in the Shadow Road. My version of the Shadow Road was, you know, I added a lot of my own stuff. I used a lot of stuff from Book of Eventides to do it, and it was a lot of fun. But I skipped. They, in, in the Black Fortress is where they met the Archduke and the, the Court in Exile. They met the Court in Exile. They agreed to work with the Court in Exile. Court of Exile says, I know where your artifact is. If you will escort me and my fine compatriot, my fine, my fine companion named Bar- Barnabas. Barnabas was his aide. An NPC I made up. Turned out Barnabas is a shadow elf, a shadow fae. And that meant when Barnabas jumped over to Barnabas's shadow fae ability lets him protect the Archduke along the way. So a lot of times, this is a really fun thing that I did. It was one of these things where like an out of world thing turned into an in world thing. So all of us collectively, my players and I would forget about the fact that they're escorting the archduke because they went to the shadow road for a long time they were in the shadow room for a long time and they would forget like oh is he with us and i would have it where like he would disappear and they wouldn't know and i said I, i made him sort of like a false hydra that not only could barnabas the aid of the archduke hide him physically from harm by like fading back into the background so that like when they're fighting monsters and stuff he wasn't there but that he was so good at it, he could make the characters and everybody else forget he was even there. And then it'd be long that they'd be like, is the arch, what's that archduke? And then he'd be like, what do you mean? I've been here eating cheese and crackers this whole time. And they're like, oh, okay. And they'd look at me and I'm like, is there? And then I had them like roll and realize, wait a minute, Barnabas has a power that enables him to not only hide the archduke and himself from monsters physically, but also from the minds of people. And that, freaked people out that was like they're like oh and i was like you know and they knew the players like we just forgot and i'm like no it was barnabas and they're like you know what are you doing so it was this really fun false hydra sort of idea that that you have this this character who can make people forget that somebody even exists and it it also worked out really well because you don't want to have this dumbass npc in every single fight that they have if they're in a fight where they're throwing fireballs around oh no sorry you just killed the archduke it's really better if he just fades away and then pops back in when when you need him so that worked and then it gives me this npc who i find far more interesting than the archduke is barnabas the shadow fae who protects the archduke not really sure why and i don't know how he's going to be involved in the whole situation later but i think he's he's definitely going to be trying to find the right way way to play the archduke was tricky he i I liked to play him as sort of a snobbish pompous ass who's very eager for his afternoon wine and his fancy cheeses on his artisanal crackers at at four o'clock every day wherever they are and then it's like is it four o'clock we're in the shadow realm but it also is like well what's his skill and his skill is he's very very persuasive that he can work deals he can convince people to do stuff and so he has a skill like he's not he's not just a noble oaf his skill is like he's gonna bring together an army that will fight for him 
to reclaim his his lands. So you don't, you know, I wanted him to be kind of a character that you didn't like particularly, but you knew what he was good at. And that really doesn't play out until he shows up at Jost. And when he shows up at the city of, of Jost, that's when you really see like, oh, he's convincing that he's working a deal and he's going to get the dwarves to fight for him and he's going to get these groups to fight for him. So that was kind of a neat a neat way to play to play the NPC because he, he ends up being there for a while. This is the whole idea of like where you have motivations and winning favor and different things that the characters can do to sort of get them on their side. I didn't worry about this. I was just like, get your mind in the heads of the characters and the, the heads of the NPCs is the heads of the NPCs and act how they would act and recognize that they really see a benefit in the character. So I've definitely leaned towards like they might try to get more out of the characters than they normally would. And the characters know they're being exploited a little bit because they're these like rough and tumble guys that can that can manage to get the Archduke from the Black Fortress all the way to Joss really far away. So that, you know, that can work out, you know, but I didn't worry too much about like what the characters had to do in order to win the favor. You know, there's a fair bit in here that 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 talks about that. There is a section about the Road in here. I just expanded it heavily using Book of Eventides to, to really give me a lot of interesting lore and NPCs and monuments that they would find. And they they met the Queen of Witches there. They had a whole interaction with the Queen of Witches. And that started a political thing that's going on inside the Shadow Realm while they're busy doing here. They gave a very powerful artifact to the Queen of Witches who was using it to build her power up to eventually usurp the Queen of Night and Magic. Might take a while, but there's like this power play that's going on among the the the, the court of the Shadow Fae that the characters were a little bit involved in. So that's that's a lot of fun. Then I had to pop out of the stone galleries. I mentioned that I I also had Medusa here. I didn't want to have them. I didn't like the idea that they would pop out from the Shadow Realm and immediately get attacked by Darkul because the idea is like, why would the Darkul know they were there? Right. Like the, the dark who aren't everywhere. And the idea that the characters just went through this whole thing to avoid being seen by going through the shadow realm, the idea that then they immediately run into dark hole didn't feel right to me. So instead I was like, well, how about basilisks and how about a massive basilisk? Right. What if we, what if we could use a massive basilisk? I have actually, I have a miniature I've been dying to use for a while. That's a, a giant basilisk mini with little glowing eyes. Can you see his glowing eyes? This is my dwarven forge glowing eyed basilisk and i was like i want to use this guy so bad so i had them fight a bunch of small basilisks and then i put this big dude out there and i made him like a a huge dire basilisk that they had to fight and that was really good i basically reskinned a young black dragon only it also had the stone gaze trait and that worked really well and then and then they met the medusa and the medusa were really mad at the at the the, the red priestesses so they the, the the medusa were willing to give information to the characters to help them usurp the red priestesses but then one of them was actually a spy for the, the the ghouls which meant that they were able to alert the ghouls that hey the archduke is on the way to joss and that way we had an option to do stuff there they could learn more but i like this idea that one of the medusa that knows the characters is actually a spy for the ghouls against even the other medusa so i think i thought that was a, a little fun bit of, of politics that take place inside inside the stone galleries so I use, instead of this map, I built a nice Dwarven Forge map because I had players at my table. So I built, I built one that had like a lot of fun ruins and stuff like that. And then I had basically one encounter between the Stone Galleries and Jost just to kind of show them. I think, I don't even remember what it was. It was just a throwaway encounter where they got to meet some people. I think they met some refugees, the first refugees that they ever met from Krakova and said, oh, we can help you get to Joss. And they helped them get to Joss. In the city of Joss, they went there. They they met with, the, you know, Archduke kind of took them around and showed them a bunch of places. There was a funeral going on for a smithy who was a follower of Thor. So they start, now I started to introduce the Northern gods you have, which are all like the, the, the traditional sort of Viking Norse gods. So Thor and Loki and all those 
those. And I want to make sure like my Thor isn't like Marvel's Thor. My Thor is, is sort of different. You can, and what's nice is I'm playing God of War and, 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 and God of War Ragnarok. And both of those have the Norse gods in it in different versions of those gods. So you, you're not stuck into stereotyping Thor so much and i made that very clear to the character this is not like your marvel thor this is like a different kind of thor and so that that worked out they got to see the funeral and kind of partake in it and hear about some of the lore of jost and of the of the northern gods then they went to the temple of the shield maiden again one of the characters was connected there so that she was welcomed very much i didn't really want to get into too much of the like oh only only women are allowed and men are not i didn't want to get too tied into that so i just said yeah yeah, everybody can come in and they met the high priestess and the high priestess says yes indeed we had the holy robes of sister adeline but we had a group of us that on the holy day of her of her death were taking it down to the place of her death so to to worship it there which is unfortunately inside krakova but they are very sound and they'll be here and then while they were spending time in Joss they said they have not returned and we have not heard word we're worried about them will you go down there and try to find out what happened to our sisters that, that went down there so the character said yes they suited up I had some downtime in Joss again downtime is always tricky to run so I don't, you know, they, the, all the characters kind of had things that they did and that was, that was all, all pretty good. And they learned about some other connections, but then they, eventually they, they got together and they traveled South. I condensed the distances. I didn't really want to have them spend weeks and weeks of travel between Yarrowsburg. You know, I said like right here, you ruins of Yarrowsburg, whatever route they choose, the characters face a trip of several hundred miles through vampire control Krakovar. Well, that's a campaign, right? Like that, that one sentence that could go that there's, there's another 16 weeks. So I was like, no, it's going to be. I'm going to have like one encounter along the way and then they're going to get to the ruins of Yarrowsburg because at this point we did so much travel. So uh, they got to Yarrowsburg and now I mentioned how I ran Yarrowsburg specifically as a Conan the Barbarian style. You have 50, 60 soldiers that are coming in. You have a couple of these ghost knights that are coming in, but you have the time to prepare. How are you going to prepare this place for defense? And their first thought was we're leaving. Like we're, we'll just go. Like why are we staying here? But I was like, it's you're surrounded. You know, they're coming in from all sides and it's not going to go well for you to try to fight out in the woods. This is the best defensible position. And then they're like, okay. And then they got into like how they're going to defend it. And it was a really, really fun battle. Again, I used a big Dwarven Forge setup so they could see it. And it worked really well. And they ended up doing very well. They didn't, they didn't really have a lot, of, a lot of trickery. There are a lot of factions in the Undead World that I thought were, were, were pretty neat. There's the Baroness of the region is the one that rules over the Ghost Knights. I forget her name at the moment. There's a Baroness. Christina, I think is her name. Baroness Hestrina. And she's, she's like a princess. She's a Baroness. But she was given a barony. She was given a whole realm to rule by King Lucan, the vampire lord. So you now have these, you have King Lucan, you have the Baroness, you have these different factions at play and the ghost knights work for her. I had this thing about like the ghost knights are essentially humans that don't have souls. So they're not vampires. They're not undead. They're sort of between life and death. They actually captured the ghost knight and the ghost knight was not going to give them anything. And so one of the sisters beheaded him. And then one of the other man at arms saw that and immediately just spewed out everything he could say about Castle Orzelberg. It was just like the characters the characters are there and they're talking to the ghost knight and the ghost knight is like you can't you there's nothing you can do to me that will get me to betray you know, my, my, my baroness. You know, there's nothing you can do. And so one of the Siths is like, all right, and cuts his head off. And they look at the man at arms, they go, how about you? And he goes, okay, so there's Castle Orzelberg. There's 26 guards. There's a bunch of Darkhold that just showed up. There's a main temple in the area. There's a prison down below. There's actually an old well, and there's like a secret tunnel underneath, but we don't really go down there. We are just throwing ghouls. Out. And he just, and they're like, hang on, hang on. I have to write all this down. Stop, stop. <laughs> the guy was just giving him everything. And the idea there was to give all the characters enough information 
information that when they were doing a heist, they had a good opportunity to know a lot about it so that they could plan their their course of attack. But it was obviously a very funny scene to have an NPC where they didn't even have to roll an intimidation check. He just immediately gave them everything he knew about this this location with the recognition that they would let him go. Also, the recognition he'd done some really terrible things. So they actually had to let somebody go who had done terrible things. He said, I don't I'm not going to go raid villages anymore. I'm not going to go murder my own people anymore. And like, is that really true? We're going to end up seeing this guy again. That was really tricky. And the vampire standing there like I, they, they had this new vampire friend that they had befriended after taking him out of the well. This this oubliette that he was thrown down in by other vampires like he had killed a vampire and he was a human who killed a vampire. So the vampires turned him into one and then threw him down there and said, you're just going to sit and spend the rest of eternity starving to death in this oubliette. No one's ever going to care and no one's ever going to find you. And then the characters did. And he's like, I don't know what I've even become. I don't know what this is. And they brought him out and they got to watch him sort of become a vampire. Right. And he's like looking at the sky and he's like, I can see galaxies. I can see stars that I've never seen before. I can see all this stuff. And he's like, I can look at the, I can see the blood flowing through your veins from here. Right. And they're like, this guy's creepy. And then like during the battle, he would like grab a dude and blood would just explode outwards. And I think that's what happened. He was he was better at intimidating the man at arms because the man at arms is hearing the screaming of one of the other guards that had survived. And then, and then this guy comes out and he's just covered in blood and he's like wiping his mouth. And he looks over at the, the man at arms with these like Amber, you know, total Amber eyes, these cat like eyes where the light is just shining right to the back of his eyeball. And he's looking at the guy and they're like, and the dude just pours out, pours out stuff. Yeah. So let's just say, did you want midnight mass? I got this. This guy is exactly from midnight mass. In fact, the, the character I'll pull it up. Cause it's, it's, if you have not seen midnight mass, on Netflix, it is a fantastic, a fantastic story, and one of the NPCs. Well, I don't want. I'm gonna spoil Midnight Mass. So if you haven't seen it, skip ahead. Uh, but yeah, this was uh, Cashel the Gray Traveler was his name, and this is what he looked. Like. He didn't look like this coming out of the oubliette. When he came out of the oubliette, his head like long hair, and he like shaved his. You know, he came out covered in blood, shaving his hair off, right? Because he's like, my hair is too long. And he he comes out, and that scared the hell out of the Man at Arms. And the Man at Arms is like spews everything, and the characters are like looking at him, and 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 I think at one point they're like, do you want to travel with us? And he's like, I don't know. And they're like, well, if you do, you're going to have to bring a couple other guards as, 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 you know, meals on wheels. And he's like, I don't need guards. I have you. And they're like, yeah, we think we shouldn't be traveling together. <laughs> and he's like, that's probably for the best. And then so he went off. And I don't know if he's going to come back later, but he's a fantastic NPC. He was really, really fun. And the whole thing was like, he's not a bad dude, but he is a vampire. And, and, and they were like, you know, maybe we can find a cure for you. And he's like, I don't know if I want to be cured. Like I, this is, I feel better than I've ever felt in my actual life. Why, why would I not want this? Right. And they're like, oh man, you know, he's fallen hard. So that was a really fun interaction. That was all at the ruins of Yarosburg. Then they find out they, they had a couple, like one daughter, Paranalia and one sister and sister of Sif who told them about Castle Orzelberg. They knew all this information about Castle Orzelberg. They went to Castle Orzelberg they did again they talked to npcs in the village they also explored it so they got to do like you know all these different pillars right Find, they found the well they found a cave they knew about the ghouls they went inside and the situation was just awesome so they they went in through the tunnels below it was basically two sessions for them to do it one session was reconnoitering the place and then going through the tunnels and then the second one was actually going into the castle and and infiltrating it and we had a couple players who weren't there we had four characters two people that were off and we basically said the, the other two characters the the main the character the, the characters of the players who were there could command could tell the 
characters of the players who weren't to go do another thing, like go take over a watchtower and then give us information. You know, we'll use we'll use like our whatever magical speechy thing to to communicate. So you can tell us like are more people coming. And what was fantastic is like they're fighting a bunch of guards. So at first they're doing a lot of like, you know, simple like put hand over the mouth, stab in the throat, killing of these guards. The guards all had like 11 hit points. So the characters are level six. They're having no trouble killing these guards and sneaking their way in. And then at one point they kill a couple more guards. They figure out where the cells are. So like we got to break down the cells. They did fight a couple of veterans on the way to the cells. And then at one point they saw that there's a mess hall and the mess hall is just full of guys, full of guards that are off duty that are just eating. There's a couple veterans and a bunch of guards. They're all just eating. They all work for the ghost knights, right? They're all, they're all members of the ghost knights. And they knew that like, okay, the temple where apparently they can hear screaming through a door and they're like, we got to get in there. One of our, one of our own is through that door. And they're like, well, let's get everybody else first because we know we're going to alert everybody. There's no way we can get in there without everybody knowing. So let's get everybody else out first. So they, they managed to get all of the other daughters and sisters out of the prison cells who said, yes, one of our own had been taken to the temple. They've been trying to convert us. They met a, an NPC that was in the cells who was just a, a villager who was turning into a ghoul, right? And they, they talked to him and he was like, they're, they're, they're doing these terrible things to us. And then they, they, they think they just killed, he died and they killed him so they wouldn't come back as a ghoul. And then, and he told this terrible story about how they're feeding him you know one day they're, they're starving him and starving him and starving him and then all of a sudden they're feeding him really really good steaks and stuff like that and he didn't realize that the steaks were were people and they're making him be a cannibal to try to convert him into a ghoul and it worked but he didn't become a dark ghoul so they're like oh shit we got to do this with other people so the characters are having a really easy time making their way down getting the people out they got everybody out and then they go up and then and then one of the characters durham who's a wizard is like can we fireball that room full of guards yet like i've been waiting to fireball that room for a guard so much and they're like yes and so he goes over and there's a two two-way fireplace i think it's in the map yeah if you look by by room 12 there's a two-way fireplace so they were in room 12 the mess hall is in room 13 and he's like i can throw a fireball from the fireplace into the room and hit the entire room and and i'm like yeah so i'm like he goes down there and he's getting ready and a and a guard like walks over with a big cigar and he's like man we sure are gonna have fun churning all those pompous people into ghouls and he like sticks his cigar to the fire and he looks and there's Durham on the other side with his finger out and he throws the fireball and blows up and I think he killed like 20 guards in one blast and then players love nothing better than to use a fireball and kill 20 guys at once like it's so much like big explosion they walk in and the guy has a cigar the head is lying off to its side with a smoking cigar still stuck out of its mouth and they're fighting the veterans and they got really <laughs> they got like wow this is great and then one of the characters goes over and kicks open the door to the temple and they kick it open and they look and there's a vampire three darakul a high priestess six priestesses a a a ghost knight and the new recently converted darakul blade master and he's like oh, <laughs> like this room looks way harder than the room we just came from and it was like three times the deadly challenge rating in that one room and i'm like you kicked in the door so now they're like well we're not fighting all these people and obviously we don't care because she is already turned into a dark cool. And so they asked, like, is there any way of rescuing her? I'm like, no, it looks like it worked. It looks like she is a dark cool. And she pulls out that one time they they saw her and they're like, oh, and the guy had a grapple gun and he fired the grapple gun and sucked her over to rescue her. And she looks at him with ghoul eyes, pulls out her blaze and just starts dicing him. And he's like, ah, this is a terrible mistake. But he, she has the holy robes around her neck. They, nobody, no, the ghouls didn't know about it. Nobody else knew about it. It sort of hid itself from the eyes of the ghouls and everything. They didn't recognize it. And so the guy's like thorn whip and he thorn whips and grabs the holy robes right off of her neck. 
and they GTFO. They fought a bunch of them. They managed it with, again, well-placed fireballs and other blasts were able to use it. The, the guy that thorn whipped the holy robes immediately was able to use it and use this radiant blast to hit a whole bunch of people. And that, I think they killed two of the three Darakul. They wounded the vampire. They didn't kill the high priestess, but they killed all the other priestesses. The ghost knight was chasing them down and they're like, let's get out of here. And they all dove down the well. And one of the characters used a cobalt press spell that like completely shifts the environment around you to make it really hard to track you. So they used that. So then they were able to escape and they got out and that was, that was their escape from Castle Orzelberg. Fantastic scene. Really, really fun. The characters had a, the players had a ball. I had a ball. I just loved how, how it worked out. Really fun. And then the goal was, okay, let's get back to Jost. And at, at this point, it's like, we're done with the chapter. Let's not make this really a long thing. So they did end up, I, I say that, and I said that they went down, a bartender that they had met said, hey, we've got secret tunnels where you've been getting people out of Orzelberg. You can use those tunnels. One way leads away from Orzelberg, but out into the mainland, or we have a shadow gate you can take. And one of the players is like, why in the hell would we ever use a shadow gate? Every time we go there, we get our asses kicked. Let's just use the normal road. And everyone else is like, no, let's do the shadow gate. So he's like, fine. And then they go and they're getting attacked by all these shadowy creatures and stuff. But they used the shadow road. They made their way across the shadow road. They, they ended up near Jost. They got out and went to Jost. And now that is where our next adventure begins, which is the end of this chapter and the beginning of chapter three, which is the blood marriage. The blood marriage, just as a, as a quick look at this chapter, looks much more refined. It's, it's still far away. You're still traveling even further to the north. But that's fine because it's just kind of condensed in this chapter. And, and, you know, the main thing that I got is that the characters have two quests. One is they found out that there's a bunch of cannibal dwarves who are, you know, conducting some kind of terrible ceremony. And, and the dwarves that are working with the Archduke and now the dwarves in the Archduke, when they got back, they found out the dwarves said to the Archduke, yes, if you give us, the, if, if you make a new duchy of the Wolfmark and you give it to us, we will fight the vampires for you. And he's like, that sounds great. And he's like, okay. So, and he looks at the characters like, we've got the vampires covered, but I need your help to make sure that they can't be reinforced by new Darkul. And it sounds like they're trying to. So I need you guys to hunt the guard Darkul. And the character's like, sure, that sounds fine. We, we don't like them. We'll do it. So the characters learned that there is this blood marriage that's going to take place. And they know roughly where it is, but they know they need to find out more information to find out exactly where it is. And they need to go take care of these cannibal dwarves that live over the over the water, that the dwarves made that kind of a condition of their support to the Archduke. The Archduke's like, you guys doing? They're like, yeah, sure, cannibal dwarves, they sound terrible. We'll take care of them. So now they have this new quest that leads them into the blood marriage. And that looks like it's going to be pretty fun. So that ends my walkthrough and the summary of how chapter two of empire of the ghouls played out i asked my, my my wife yesterday about it i was like you know it was I, I said do you know how long we've spent in chapter two and she's like no like six weeks i'm like 14 or 16 sessions she's like holy cow and i go how do you feel about that she goes well, it was really fun i loved it i'm like great all right so then who cares right it was a really long chapter but that you can almost think of that chapter as like the i hope we'll find out when we go to the other chapters as the yammy part of the adventure like it's a really really big chapter and and it's a it's a long one that's 50 pages so that's a pretty big for one chapter of an adventure 50 pages is pretty is pretty lengthy so we really had a good time with this chapter. I liked it a lot. I do feel like condensing the travel down, knowing how you're going to handle a 1400 mile journey is really something you want to figure out before you run it. But there are lots of ways to kind of modify things, adding side quests, kind of filling it out, using the Midgard world book, using 
the Book of Ebon Tides to kind of fill things out and be comfortable with the fact that you're going to be in this chapter for a while because it's a lot of opportunity to see the whole northern region, the crossroads region and the, 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 the whole dwarven, the whole dwarven northern region of the area in Midgard. It's a great way to explore that whole area with this kind of fun quest to recover this artifact. I hope you enjoyed this video. If you did and you want more material like this, you can sign up to the Sly Flourish newsletter. You'll get a free adventure generator PDF plus a weekly RPG-related email sent directly to your inbox. You can also support me directly on Patreon. Patrons get access to all kinds of great material, including the City of Arches Sourcebook, Uncovered Secrets Volume 1 and 2, a bunch of exclusive adventures, the dedicated Discord channel, and a the monthly Patreon Q&A. You can also pick up any of my books at the Sly Flourish bookstore, including Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, The Lazy DM's Companion and the Lazy DM's Workbook. All of the links to all of that are in the show notes below. Thank you all very much. Have a great day and get out there and play an RPG.